and then he'll begin to conform you to the image of Jesus. He'll start making your desires his desires. And you will no longer live a life controlled by your passions and your feelings and your desires. You will live a life that is solely committed to him, that wants to live for him. Who is the father of lies? This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. In the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks bluntly about the devil, calling him the father of lies. Today, David gives us a biblical overview of the devil, his fall, and his work to deceive us in a message simply called, Exposing the Devil. The Son came to give life and to give it to you abundantly. So Satan came in his job description to kill, steal, and destroy. He hates God. He wanted authority over God, and when he couldn't get it, he rebelled against God, and his desire is to kill, steal, and destroy anything and everything that is of God's created order. So, after Satan rebelled, creation must have occurred because in the beginning you were a murderer. And what does that mean? Well, it means he had as his desire to murder and kill, destroy, steal from everything and anyone whom God created. To understand more fully then how Satan operates, we need to go to Genesis, the third chapter. In Genesis 1 and 2, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created everything perfectly. There was perfect harmony in all of the created order. Uh, God created perfect harmony between him and Adam and Eve, between Adam and Eve themselves, with Adam and Eve and creation, and Adam and Eve within themselves. There was perfect harmony in every possible way. So if you remember that the purpose of the enemy is to kill, steal, and destroy, he did not want that harmony to remain. He wanted, in fact, to kill Adam and Eve. Remember, he's a murderer from the beginning. Now, before we jump into Genesis 3 to look at Satan and how he operated with Adam and Eve and really the way he operates with you and me, we need to understand Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. When God created Eden, paradise, he told Adam and Eve, you can live in this paradise. This is the place I want you to live. And before Eve was created, he said to Adam, I'm calling you to be the gardener and the guardian of this garden, of this home. You're the one I'm placing in authority over all of this. And the Lord God put Adam in this garden for the purpose of overseeing it in every way. And then God said in verse uh, 16, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, that death was a spiritual death. They'd be separated from God. No longer would they have perfect harmony with God. And secondly, they would die physically. Physical death was never God's original intent. It's an evil intrusion into God's once perfectly created world. But God said, you can eat of all of these other trees. They're all yours. But there's one tree you can't eat of that is of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil that you'll take my position. You'll be like Satan. I will, I will, I will, I will. I'm going to be God. I'll take control. I'll decide what's good and what's evil. And God said, the moment you do that, you're inviting sin into this world, and Adam, as the representative head of all of the human race, everyone thereafter will inherit that sinful nature. They'll be born with a death in their hearts toward me. They'll not seek me. Secondly, they'll be birthed with a beginning point toward death. 
That's going to happen if you rebel against me. So that's what God said to Adam. And then he gave him Eve thereafter. And God said to Adam and Eve, you can eat of all of these other trees, but you cannot eat of that one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So with that as background information, let's go to Genesis chapter 3 and look at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now notice that Satan, the deceiver, the liar, took on the form of a serpent. Now, at this point, the serpent is probably walking, may even have arms. Uh, imagine the Geico commercial with that cute little guy walking around. Looks like a snake head, but has a body with arms. And it could be that this particular animal before the fall, wasn't slithering around, but was a very attractive, maybe not even a literal snake, but an apparition of one that was given to Adam and Eve. And notice that this apparition, this serpent-style creature that Satan entered into in kind of an incarnation, like God became one of us in Jesus. So the enemy becomes a creature that is crafty, slithering, figuring out how to come to us and get us to disobey God. Someone who studied our game films, someone who knows how we operate, someone who wants to completely kill and destroy us and has looked at our weaknesses and knows how to set traps for us. And notice that it is the field that the Lord God had made. That Lord God implies relationship, that God had a personal covenantal relationship with Adam and Eve in that garden. You're not going to see the devil ever call God the Lord God because he doesn't have that covenantal relationship with him. Notice what happens next. He goes to the woman. Have you ever asked why he didn't go to the man? He goes to the woman. Adam is there. He's just standing by passively, but he goes to the woman. And notice that God called Adam to be the gardener and the guardian in the garden. He was the one to oversee it, not the woman. When God gave that instruction to Adam, the woman wasn't even created yet. She's created from Adam's side, not from under his feet. She is an equal partner in every way, but it was Adam to whom God had given the command to oversee the garden, yet the serpent in his craftiness went to the woman. And here is his first step in his way of attacking us, folks. Did God actually say, he tries to get us to deny that God's Word is God's Word. Remember how Jesus talked in John 8 about His Word abiding in us, about His Word being truth, about Him being the truth? He came and made Eve first doubt if God's Word was really true. Did God really, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, notice she says God, not Lord God. The covenantal relationship isn't there as closely and intimately. You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And notice what she does there. God never said anything about touching that tree. He just said don't eat of it. She adds to God's word. She didn't understand the truth of what God had really commanded them to do. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now, now what's he doing there? He's trying to say that if you disobey God, he's a celestial killjoy. He's not trying to give you some fun times. You need to take control of the, your life. And, and you really need to know God's a liar. He's not telling you the truth that if you disobey him, 
you will not surely die. <laughs> it reminds me of the story of this buff biker who was out with his shotgun in the field and he saw a duck fly by and he shot the duck and the duck fell to the ground. And he went to go collect his duck and there was this kind of frumpy farmer who walked up and as the biker leaned over to pick up the duck, the farmer said to him, that's my duck. And the guy said, no, this is my duck. I shot the duck out of the air. And the farmer said, nope, duck landed on my ground. It's my duck. The farmer said, don't touch that duck. Well, the biker said, no, it's my duck. I shot the duck. I own the duck. I'm going to get the duck. And the farmer said, no, it's my duck landed on my ground. You can't have the duck. And the biker said, yes, I can. The farmer said, no, you can't. And so the biker said, hey, I got a deal here for you. Here's what we'll do. You can hit me as hard as you want to, and then I'll hit you as hard as I want to, and the one who hits harder is the one who gets the duck. Well, the biker's real buff, and he's big and strong, and he knows he's going to knock the farmer for a loop. And the farmer's, again, this kind of weak, frumpy guy, and you know he doesn't think that he's got much of a wallop, the biker does, and he goes, the farmer goes, okay, that's fine with me. And so the farmer says, I'll go first. And he lays back and wallops the biker as strong as he can. The biker sneeze buckle, he falls to the ground, shakes his head like this and goes, wow, that was quite a wallop. So he gets back up and right before he's beginning to strike the farmer, the farmer goes, ah, take the duck <laughs> and walks away. <laughs> but that's what the evil one does. The evil one just wants to wallop you. He wants you to think that there are no consequences if you sin. And that was what Satan's trying to do here. There are no consequences if you deny the truth and live life on your own terms. You'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate. Folks, when that happened, as God promised, if you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. At that point, death was introduced into Eve and to Adam. And since we are again in Adam's representative headship, all death was guaranteed to you and me as well. So when Jesus in John 8 calls Satan a murderer from the beginning, from the beginning of creation, right when the Garden of Eden was created and Adam and Eve were placed in it, when he came and tempted in his crafty ways, misstating the word of God, making it seem like God's a celestial killjoy, inviting them to decide what's good and what's evil, then at that moment, sin entered the world and death entered Adam and Eve and death entered you and me. Satan's first murder was of Adam and Eve and you and me. Death is in this world because Satan is a murderer. He was from the beginning. And then moreover, if you go to Genesis 4, just the next chapter, you have Cain and Abel, and Cain kills his brother Abel, the first murder that's mentioned in the Bible from the beginning. Satan is a murderer. That's what he wants to do, folks. John 10, 10 is his job description. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And he wants to do that with you.
He wants to convince you that you can be as God, that you can take control of your life and be as God, that you can determine what's right and wrong, what's good and evil. You will be as God. And what he doesn't tell you when you make that decision to sleep with that guy when you know you shouldn't and then the consequences are revealed later on, or you start taking that drug that you know you shouldn't drink, uh, take, but then later on you become addicted to it, when later you have to experience the consequences of your rebellion against God and against His truth, Satan cackles with delight because all he wants to do is for you to die and he wants to steal from you your life and destroy every part of who you are. He was a murderer from the beginning and he operates by just telling us lies to try to keep us from the truth of God's Word. And when we live in those lies, and when we start to determine what's good and what's evil, when we start calling good evil and evil good, when we start calling light darkness and darkness light, we are inviting a continued rebellion in this world for darkness to continue to cover this world. And we have this world being ruled by Satan, the father of lies, the king of the kingdom of darkness, and we are his minions, and the demonic world has access to us to continue the call to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what the enemy wants to do. And in Proverbs 14, 12, there's this interesting verse that says, there's a way that seems right to man, but ends in death. It seems right, we think so because we've determined above God's rule and His Word what's right and what's wrong, but it really is a pathway that leads to death. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is addressing the Roman culture, which is very much like the American culture, one where they believed that they controlled everything, that power was in their hands, they would determine what's right and wrong, they had a resistance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes in Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, catch this folks, suppress the truth. Today in our culture, we are living in such a way that we are suppressing the truth. We are coming after the Word of God and saying it's not true anymore. We're saying we know better and we can decide what's right and what's wrong. And folks, we do that to our own demise and to our culture's troubles and problems. I would invite all of you today to realize Jesus is trying to teach us that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we live by His rules and by His ways, we have life and we have it in abundance. That's Jesus' job description, to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. So look at verse 46. Jesus asks, which one of you convicts me of sin? You know, try to find sin in Jesus. You can't because He is the perfect, pure God-man, the Lamb of God who went to the cross to die for the forgiveness of our sins. He has to be perfect in order to die for our sins. Who convicts me of sin? And of course, they could not find any sin in Him. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. So as I looked at this passage, I concluded that in this debate in our culture today about binary and what's non-binary, whether there are two truths that should guide us, 
we need to go to God's Word and find what He says to us. Dear friends, Jesus made it clear that there are two fathers in the universe. There's the Father in heaven or the Father of lies. Which one is your father? Who's your daddy? Is it the Father of the universe who's revealed Himself to us through Jesus Christ our Lord or the Father of lies? You know, there are two roads in Matthew 7. There's a wide road that leads to destruction, and Jesus said many are those who are walking on it. He said there's also a narrow road, and those who believe in Him are walking on that narrow road. Yes, He has set limits for us. He's told us how to live. He's told us how we should live our lives sexually, emotionally, psychologically, without pride, in humility, in serving others. His road is narrow. It's a difficult road. It's a disciplined road. But you know what? The disciplined person is the freest person of all. Why? Because we can say no to lies. We know those lies. We can say yes to the truth and keep walking toward Jesus. So you have either a world that's guided by Christ or chaos. And folks, if you are a slave living under the master of this world's chaos, if you're guided by the flesh and your passions and your desires, you don't have to stay there. You can be guided by the Holy Spirit. What Jesus came to do was to give us truth inside our hearts, to give us the word that will guide us into all truth. Oh, I pray that you will come to understand that. You'll not fall prey to the lyings of Satan. You'll not let him destroy your life. You'll live for Jesus and let him control you in every possible way. When you do, you'll be set free and you'll become a son and a daughter indeed. To Jesus alone and always belongs all of the glory. It's in his name I ask this. Amen. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a discussion about the difference between a father and a coach. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and with me today is Bart Noonan with West Boulevard Ministry. Bart, Tell us about West Boulevard Ministry. Uh, thank you, Mark, for this opportunity to speak about West Boulevard Ministry and, and more importantly about Jesus Christ. West Boulevard Ministry serves the spiritual and physical needs of the families and the communities within the West Boulevard quarter to the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we're doing neighborhood outreach cookouts, gatherings where we're bringing people outside of their apartments, their homes, into fellowship with one another, or we're doing Bible study bingo the first Wednesday of every month at Little Rock Apartments. And uh, we gather anywhere from 50 to 70 children that we share the gospel with and we play bingo after our Bible study portion of the night. And a couple weeks ago, there's a young man who we've been walking with now close to three years who came in, he, he forgot something, like a lot of young, young kids do, he forgot something in the um, space, and he came back in and he ended up praying out myself and all the other volunteers for the West Boulevard ministry team that were gathered there for that night and led us all in prayer and closed it out. And this young man, we've been taking to church every every Sunday for about the past year and a half. And, and that's what it's all about. It's about providing an opportunity for Jesus Christ to work inside someone's heart and, and then encourage them along the way. That sounds great. Now, Bart, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? The best way to do is uh, either email myself at bart at westboulevardministry.org or they can call me straight up in my cell phone and I always answer. I'm sort of like a doctor. The phone's always on and that's 980-298-9027. I would encourage folks too to also go to our website, which is westboulevardministry.org and there you can see some of our photo galleries, you can see some of the blogs and a lot of things we do throughout the West Boulevard Corridor to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is great having you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. 
I'm Jen Houston, and with me today is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us today. It's great being here, Jen. Thank you. Well, in this morning's e-devotion, you wrote a Davidism titled, You're His Father, Not His Coach. Oh, it's a message to dads, but some moms too. You know, we love our kids, and we can get really involved in their lives to the point where there's a vicarious attachment that's not healthy. Mm. You know, I was an athlete in college, and I loved sports, and so... My son, especially with this particular illustration, was a basketball player. He's even taller than I am and had some success. And I got so absorbed in his particular basketball experience, you know, on the sidelines, yelling at him and going, come on, you can do better and that kind of thing. Uh, It hit me one day when he got into the car and I started going over the game with him that he didn't want to talk about the game whatsoever. And the more I probed, the more hurt his heart was because he hadn't played especially well that day. And as I went home and spent some time with the Lord, the Lord whispered to my heart, this truth. You are his father, not his coach. Let me say it again to everybody listening right now. You are his father, not his coach. And I realized I did not have any right to live vicariously through him. This was his life. Mm. So I made a dramatic decision at that moment with him and then with all of my children. Uh, My daughter, Bethany, played volleyball. My son, Michael, is a swimmer, uh, very successful. And When I made that decision to no longer be involved in any of their lives as a coach, but just be their father, after every event, I would simply sit in the car with them and say, how you feeling? Hmm. How you doing? And just try to read their emotions and care for them as a dad, not try to be their coach to correct any kind of athletic Hmm. behavior or misbehavior, if you will. My son, Michael, recently tried out for the U.S. Olympic team in swimming, and he missed making the team by 0.4 seconds. Oh, my goodness. And he's trying to figure out life right now. And when he called the other day just to talk about what he should do, should he continue swimming, what's his future look like, I just heard again deep in my heart, David, you are his father, not his coach. So I just listened, let him process his emotions, cared for him, loved him, and just said, son, you just need to know, no matter what you do, if you continue swimming, don't continue swimming. I'm always here for you. I love you not because you're an athlete. I love you because you're simply my son. It's a great lesson for all us parents to learn, especially in this sports-crazed culture. And I more and more believe, Jen, that the destruction of the church will probably not be some kind of demonic influence it will probably be more kid sports. Oh, oh no, just as my daughter made the volleyball team oh, yesterday. I'm sorry, but you know, all these travel teams, you're usually playing on a Sunday. Oh, I know. And the travel teams travel sometimes six to eight months out of the year, and you're teaching your kids. I think, I'm afraid, that it's more important to be a part of a sports team than it is to honor the yeah. Lord on His Sabbath. So I think there's some truth to that, David. Parents need to struggle with it. And just remember, you are their parent, not their coach. That's what's mostly important in today's message. That is so good. So timely for my husband and I to hear this truth, <laughs> this exhortation. I hope it didn't put too much guilt on you. No, didn't mean it's to. so wonderful. <laughs> and I just think it is a really good reminder. We've spoken about this recently of not putting so much emphasis on our kids. And really, our, our load as a parent is a heavy one. But when you shift into the holiness of it, it's light and it could be fun. And yeah. we get to push them towards the Lord. And I would say enjoy sports. It's a great gift. And if you're a former athlete, dad, enjoy that time with your kid. Just don't make it your idol. Don't make their success your success because that's unhealthy. And kids read it and ultimately.
ultimately they'll weary of it and maybe even give up the sport because they know that they're playing to please you, not for their own enjoyment. Wow. Thank you so much, David. You're welcome, Jen. And thank you all for listening today. If you'd like these daily Moments of Hope in a written form, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there free of charge. From my heart to yours every morning at 7 a.m. to begin your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for a spirit of unity in our culture.